We are reminded by Nehemiah that when we pray, if we're praying to the biblical God, God listens to our prayers. This is a fascinating story. Very good from the book of Nehemiah chapter one. This is interesting. We're going to study that in about five minutes. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are focused on studying the word of God from Genesis one to Revelation 22. Ryan and Corey are here. Corey, what's going on? We're going to be taking a look at a palace discovered in Susa that is actually a scene from, it hosted the scene from Nehemiah chapter 2. Ryan? Well, today I'm finishing my study of the Minor Prophets, which includes Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, some of these guys were actually contemporaries of Ezra and Nehemiah, so we'll talk about it. Wow. Okay, Janice. Mm -hmm. Today my segment is called The Wonderment of Prayer. All right, let's open up the Bible and see what God says. Nehemiah 1, 1 through 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, and keep my commandments, and do them. Though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there, and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, Please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. 
Nehemiah chapter one, two, three, and four is what we read as we go through the Bible. And I, I gotta tell you, I love Nehemiah. He is an awesome man. But I wanna tell you something else. It is interesting. We're gonna read about some situations he gets into. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah were both men. It actually books in the Bible now. But in the Hebrew Bible, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were kept as one. The Latin Christian Bibles from the 13th century onward the Vulgate book of Ezra was divided into two texts called first and second books of Ezra. This is the second book. In the mid 16th century, the title of Nehemiah was given to the book formerly called the second book of Ezra. Nehemiah, a name meaning Yahweh confronts, was not only a great man of prayer, but served as a cupbearer to the king of ancient Persia. Now this was an important and privileged position. It involved tasting the king's food before it was served, checking for acceptability and as a poison control element. And Nehemiah also led the third return of exiles to Jerusalem in 444 BC. The first turn or return rather was under Zerubbabel that was in 538 BC and the second return was in 458 BC, and that of course was with Ezra. Interestingly, Nehemiah didn't stay in Jerusalem, but Nehemiah returned to his privileged job. I find that interesting because Nehemiah was so devout in what the Lord was saying and teaching people. Well, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. This is a good one. If you don't have a Bible guide, you can call us or you can write to us. Or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and BibleDiscoveryTV.com will show you how you can get your Bible guide. It'll look just exactly like we printed it. Today, we're going to talk about Yahweh confronts Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, 1 through 11. Let's pray and ask the Lord to hear us today so that we can hear him. Father, we ask you today that you would teach us your ways and show us your paths. Nehemiah is a brilliant man. But Lord, he is a man, and we are men and women listening. And help us to listen through the words of your Holy Spirit or to the words of your Holy Spirit so that we can understand. In fact, I would pray today, Lord, change our hearts so that we will be reflective of exactly what you're saying in the book of Nehemiah. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we prayed this together, we said, amen, or make it so. And Nehemiah chapter one is absolutely amazing. This is our introduction to Ezra two or Nehemiah. And it says the words of Nehemiah, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren came to me from Judah and he, and I asked them, concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept. And I mourned for many days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, this is the reaction that Nehemiah has. It's absolutely amazing. Now, Nehemiah reminds us 
when we pray, God listens. <laughs> you know, praying is not casting your words in some kind of lottery. God listens. We shouldn't watch the news just to know what's happening. We should watch the news so that we can pray. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That means that you watch the things that you see. You listen to the things on the internet. You listen to the radio. And you listen to things on the television. Not for just listening to them. But you pray and say, Lord, help me to pray for people. And help me to be there. Because this is what happened to Nehemiah. When he heard these words, he was captivated by this. It's not that, you know, he wanted to go back there so bad, but he was captivated by this because this represented the city of God, Jerusalem. Very interesting. Let's go back to the scripture, learn more what it says in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5. It says this, And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you, and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive to your, and your eyes be open that you may hear the prayers of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned, and we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, that the word you commanded your servant Moses, saying, and if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the furthest part of heavens, Yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a divine, a dwelling rather, for my name. What a statement. When we pray, we should highlight God's word. God always responds to his word. That's one thing I notice about Nehemiah. He's praying, this is what you said to Moses, Lord. You said it. So we pray it. And Father, that's what we pray today. We're going to pray your word. That's interesting. And that's why we should pray the Psalms, by the way. Anyway, let's go back because the last two verses are really important. Now, these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servants prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. This is interesting. God will hear us because we are his servants. When we pray, God is faithful to respond. Now notice what he prayed. He prayed, Lord, forgive us for the sins our people have forgiven. And that's how we need to pray today. Father, forgive our countries, the United States. Forgive Canada. Lord Jesus, forgive the UK. Forgive the countries of Africa. Forgive the countries of Asia, South America, the islands. Lord, forgive us for we have sinned. 
But help us, Lord, as we turn our hearts around towards you. And we say, Father, no more. We're going to follow you. Help us, Lord, to follow you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you and say we are going to follow Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Now listen carefully. If you prayed that you're going to follow Jesus, you should follow the Lord. You made a commitment. Let's follow what Jesus said and did. And we start by learning what he said and did from the Bible. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. All right, well, it's time now to carry on in our discovery of the Bible. And today we're reading Nehemiah chapters 1 to 4. But as I promised on yesterday's program, I'm going to be concluding my study on the 12 minor prophets. Now, we'll get to the books of the minor prophets later on in the year, but I thought that it would be profitable to do this study now because some of these guys were actually contemporaries of Ezra and Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, Ezra mentions Haggai and Zechariah a couple of different times. Now, yesterday we already spent some time looking at the first five minor prophets, namely Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah. So today we're going to talk about the last seven, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Who were they? When did they live? And to whom did they prophesy? Although the last 12 books of the Old Testament are attributed to men we call minor prophets, this does not refer to their importance, but rather to the length of their ministry and books. In fact, these men were critically important instruments of God. One of these key prophets was Micah of Moresheth. Known as the poor people's prophet, he ministered in the days of kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He preached to both the northern and southern kingdoms, and like Amos, Micah came from the rural countryside. So while the prophet Isaiah was in Jerusalem addressing the king and international affairs, Micah was a country prophet who was deeply sensitive to the social issues that affected the small towns and villages throughout Judah. Following Micah is Nahum. Though no specific date is given for his book, it is probably safe to assume that he prophesied during the middle of the 7th century BC. Nahum has been called the poetic prophet because his prophecy is written in the form of a poem which describes the sacking of Nineveh. As a matter of fact, Nahum is a sequel to Jonah. Over a century earlier, Jonah had preached against Nineveh, who at that time repented. However, by this time, they had again returned to their evil ways. And though God sent them Nahum, this time they did not listen. Habakkuk, another of God's faithful prophets, ministered sometime before the fall of Judah in 586 BC, possibly in the late 7th century. Although rebellious and wicked Judah thought it unthinkable that God would allow his temple to be taken, God informed his prophet that if they didn't repent, he would certainly destroy it. Shortly thereafter, Babylon invaded. Habakkuk could be called the praying prophet because the central theme of his book is wrapped up in his final prayer of chapter 3, and his book implies that he wrestled long hours with God in prayer. 
Zephaniah, one of the last of the pre-exilic prophets, ministered during the reign of the godly Judean king Josiah. In fact, he most likely had a tremendous influence on Josiah and spurred on his great reforms. Zephaniah was probably also the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. If so, then Zephaniah and Josiah were related. Following the return of the Israelites to their land, we find the prophetic duo of Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai prophesied for just four months in the year 520 BC, while Zechariah preached from 520 to 518 BC. Many scholars believe Haggai's ministry was so short because of his great age. Haggai chapter 2 verse 3 might suggest that he had seen Solomon's temple before it was destroyed, which would make him at least 70 years old at the time of his prophecy. But now the Jews had been back from the Babylonian exile for almost 20 years, and they still hadn't rebuilt Jerusalem's temple. So Haggai and Zechariah worked together to inspire the people to finish it. The final prophet of the Old Testament is Malachi, whose writing is dated to sometime after 450 BC. Because Malachi simply means messenger of the Lord, it isn't known whether this was the prophet's actual name. Nevertheless, his book is a fitting ending to the Old Testament because it summarizes Israel's sins, calls them to a further repentance, and points them to the coming Savior. So that concludes our study of the 12 minor prophets. And as I mentioned at the end of the segment, Malachi perfectly caps off the Old Testament. As one scholar puts it, the Old Testament opened with a man in, in the garden, free from sin and happy in his creator. It closes with fallen man, miserable and unhappy under a curse. Now, had the Bible closed on that scene, we would be living in a very dark and despairing world. However, thank God there is a New Testament that tells of a Savior who redeems mankind unto himself. A loving Christ erases the miserable failures of man. Thank God our Bible doesn't end at Malachi. That's exactly correct. And we are living at a time when the world's changing a lot around us. But uh, that's good to remember. Thank you, Ryan. Remember that we've taped five sermons for you and put them on uh, Drive. And so if you want a DVD copy, you want to download them, you can get them. Go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, write us or call us. It's a gift of, suggest a gift of $30 or more. But whatever the Lord speaks to you, that would be great. That would help us tremendously during this time. Okay, Corey, you're up. All right. Well, Nehemiah was, his day job was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Nothing to scoff at there. This was a very, very high uh, priority position, uh, very prestigious. And we're told in Nehemiah chapter two exactly where Nehemiah was serving the king at this particular time. And it was in the king's palace in one of the capital cities named Susa. Now, fortunately for us, that city, that ancient city has been excavated for over a hundred years. So there is a lot to discover specifically from the palace. Take a look. In modern day Iran lies the ancient city of Shushan, known as Susa in English renderings of the Bible. Susa is the site of the famous story of Queen Esther, its palace was also home to biblical Nehemiah and was envisioned by the prophet Daniel. Excavated for almost 100 years, the site of Susa has revealed her ruined Persian palace and royal city, showing students of the Bible that the Book of Esther must retain eyewitness reports of its function and layout. 
Today, some of the decorative palace remains are stored in the Louvre, including a foundation inscription that records where all the luxury building materials were brought from. The royal palace of Susa was built by Esther's father-in-law, Darius I, known to history as King Darius the Great. Darius constructed Susa as a winter capital of the Persian Empire. Here, he constructed a massive 12-acre terrace, upon which he built his monumental palace connected to the city of Susa by a large gate known in Esther as the King's Gate. To access the palace compound, one would have to cross a bridge over a river and walk through the King's Gate into a large courtyard outside of the palace. This system of the palace complex being separated from the city proper is reflected in the Book of Esther that distinguishes between the city of Susa and the citadel of Susa that should be identified as the palace complex. Inside the palace, the royal banquet hall has been identified. It was a pillared room whose elaborately decorated columns were 65 feet tall. This banquet hall saw the infamous Feast of Xerxes when he drunkenly requested Queen Vashti's presence. It was also a main place of Nehemiah's work as cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. The very spot of the king's throne in this banquet hall has been identified by its stone base centered between the pillars of the room. The palace itself was organized in a more Babylonian style, incorporating three main courtyards that created a grand walkway through the palace on the way to the king's throne room. These courtyards would have been decorated with stone reliefs and glazed bricks, and they were separated by guardhouses. The Book of Esther indicates that the outer courtyard was the place that royal officials would come with their business and wait to be summoned by the king, as Haman providentially did. From the layout of the palace, it's easy to see that the king's throne located in his great hall or throne room would have had a direct line of sight to the inner courtyard, where Esther is said to have illegally come to request an audience with her husband. Esther herself would have come from the women's quarters, through the palace's middle courtyard, and into the inner courtyard, a route that can still be walked by modern visitors to Susa. This is really an amazing circumstance. The, the, the fact that there is enough of this palace remaining that we can identify different, you know, actual rooms where scenes from Nehemiah, scenes from Esther actually occurred. Uh, it's a really unique case, but a very interesting one for sure. So this is, this is a, a fascinating thing because you can go there yeah, yeah. and actually walk. You can where Esther walked. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's stunning. That's incredible. Uh, that's amazing. Very good, Corey. Thank you so much. Janice. <laughs> well, I entitled this segment today, The Wonderment of Prayer. Wonderment, it means amazement, astonishment, awe, and admiration. And as I read this chapter, the first chapter of Nehemiah, I got to thinking, about the wonderment of prayer. Nehemiah has a situation, he's, he's mourning from what the people have told him. And it says in verse four, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then it beautifully opens up 
this chapter does, starting at verse 5, to a prayer that Nehemiah pours out before God. And we are able to be attentive to what Nehemiah is pouring out his heart before God. And it just really, to me, is an amazing fact that we can pray to a living God, the God who is the creator of the universe, the God who has designed everything, including you and me. And I just, uh, reading at the very end of it, verse 11, he caps it off and he says, Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants, listen to this, who desire to fear your name. The people that were around Nehemiah, they were in that same wonderment of God. They had the same reverence of God, knowing that God was listening to this prayer. So, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Because, of course, he wanted to go back to the king to ask for permission to come to rebuild the wall. And he ends it, for I was the king's cup bearer. And so just in reflection, Rod, um, really looking at prayer and the importance of prayer. You know, Nehemiah could have just gone and asked, gone to the king. He could have just, well, let's just come up with a plan to get this done. But his first call, his first and natural reaction to Nehemiah, because of his faithfulness to God, was to go into a time of mourning, into a time of prayer and fasting before God, because he knew that's where his direction would come from. He knew that's where his provision would come from. He knew that that's what would draw the people in as well. And what a testimony and what an amazing thing, what a wonderment that we can read it here and also apply it in our lives because we will have difficult situations that we will go through. And it's good to remind ourselves instead of going into panic mode to just stop and take that situation to God. And if necessary, if we need to really quiet ourselves down, we can fast for a meal or two just to bring everything into a quiet time before God and bring it to prayer. Very, very important lessons that we read today from Nehemiah. Remember, it's called BD Family and Friends, and it's a network that we put on. And if you look it up on your Roku box uh, that you're using for your TV set, you can download it. And the Bible Discovery BD Family and Friends is the network that you find and you will watch. We've got several networks on there, but we've also got this program. But let's pray today. Lord, I know you so much more than I thought I did before. And I realize that I'm a sinner. Help me today. 